0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today we're joined by AJC State House veteran James Salzer to talk first about um, some big developments in the Georgia Capitol over the last week. James, how you been? Good, good. Well, this came as somewhat of a surprise. We we kind of figured that... um, the governor. There was two pieces of big news. The governor signed a police protections bill, and in the hours or so before he signed it, we started hearing that he was he was going to support it. But uh, at least for me, the call for a special legislative session later on this year um, kind of came by total surprise.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and the way he did it was, um, uh, I mean, he didn't do it. He didn't do it like making a big announcement. He just put it at the end of a of a signing message. Uh, on a bill that you know, he wrote a long signing message on a bill that he said had uh, technical errors in the in the uh, drawing up of the bill. Um, and you know, you, we every I think everyone who read that signing message and and read and 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 what he said about that bill, think the problems were wrong with that bill. Um, you know, read a lot. I mean, it's it, it was it touched off all the speculation because. Something like that can be fixed in like, you know, an, an hour at the legislature when they come back in July, in January. So that's generally not something you're going to have. Well, no, that's not generally. It's it's never something you're going to have a special session for. I mean, a special session is, you know, forty forty thousand dollars a day session. Uh, just to pay the legislators to come in and um, to, to fix a, a technical flaw in a bill.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that bill because it was at the very end of a – he vetoed four pieces of legislation and there was a long sort of five-paragraph statement about a fifth um, piece of legislation called House Bill 105 that it's it's a 50% cent per ride uh, fee on ride shares, taxes, limo, limo services that sort of seeks to regulate those businesses but it also grants a state tax exemption on federal aid received by storm victims. There's nothing actually wrong with the, uh, even as the governor conceded, with the actual language in the bill. The issue here is an incorrect tracking number. And um, in the governor's statement, he said, this is no fatal flaw, but we're we're worried about a potential legal challenge.
2: The the chances of that happening are incredibly small that I mean, this was like a bill. This tax exemption. You know, they had a special session in two thousand eighteen just to do a relief package for Hurricane Michael victims. Um, and this is one of those bills that, like, you know, zips could on its own. Not not necessarily the uh, the uh, rideshare part of it, but the the tax exemption uh, part of it. Um, was like if, if it wasn't unanimous. The only person who was a vote against it was uh, Representative Gertler, who votes no on most things. But um, by and large, it was unanimous. Went through very easily. And um, so the idea and and the idea that someone would sue the state over a tax exemption for um, you know farmers who are getting federal aid is you know it it would be very it would be you know huge news if that actually happened. But I. I i kind of doubt that that should happen, and you know, again, they're what five months, six months away from a legislative session where they could easily fix this. Um, and right, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this would be that if that were really if that were the you know the the only reason to have a session. Uh, I mean, excuse me. To if that were the only problem. I mean, that they they would start on. You know, the first day of the session and probably pass it out by the end of the week.
0: So let's talk about Um, that the real reason he's gonna do this, because um, there's political timing, right? Uh, the the election the November, election is in November, and there's a there is a chance that Democrats end up flipping the, the house. It's a it's a more remote chance. Uh, they got to flip 16 seats, but it's pretty remote, it's yeah. Pretty but, remote, it, but still they're, yeah, you know, they're working on it. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. political, the political realities for Republicans will be a lot different uh, and, and probably more difficult in Georgia in, in January. Um, and his, in, in that five paragraph statement I, t- I mentioned, um, he says uh, at the very last line, special session may also be timely to address other budgetary and oversight issues. And that got the political class chattering because, of course, there's budgetary right. issues that, that James can talk about, and there's also the oversight was the was the key word here, um, right? And that involves the potential takeover bid for the the Atlanta airport Um, that has been basically Mayor Bottoms has been, uh, has been has been her number one priority is is blocking that from ever happening. It came pretty close to happening. It, came, it survived until the very last day of the legislative session in 2019, and. Um, yeah, but that
2: wasn't a t- that wasn't a takeover. I mean, that was that was oversight. Know, the Senate. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a, it was essentially it was the the closest it came or anything came happening was um, came to happening was uh, the, the legislation would have created the equivalent of MARTOC, which is a, a state uh, committee that does some oversight of, of the uh, MARTA system um, transit system in, in Atlanta. Um, so the closest it came was that there would be some kind of an oversight committee um, with the airport, which, you know, again, if, if you're the city of Atlanta, you're you're not happy with the state trying to tell you what to do on the airport. But it's not a t- it wouldn't it wasn't really a takeover. Um, and I, 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 I can't imagine that although, um, you know, I, the, the Senate might pass that, I can't imagine the House would pass that. I mean, a you know, a full fledged takeover.
0: Well, that's what made um, this so so interesting because you had um, you had m- several lawmakers come out and publicly say, and many many more privately say, there's absolutely no reason for this ses- special session. Um, the legislative council said that that the underlying reason for this for his call, which is that 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 minor flaw in in um, House Bill 105. The legislative council, who is the General Assembly's top lawyer, said that there's there's he saw no problems with that piece of legislation. He he acknowledged that there is a there is an incorrect number in the tr- in the tracking number within the bill, but he said that shouldn't that shouldn't pro- cause any sort of legal problems. Um, and then you had the Speaker of the House David Ralston and Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan issue a joint statement. And remember, the, these two are not generally on the same um, side of of of, of, right. of many issues. And they delivered a joint statement saying, A, they don't think a special session is necessary, and B, if it were necessary, they would seek to essentially they threatened to override the governor's veto of another bill, one of the four v- bills he did veto that that aims to provide more transparency and accountability to state uh, healthcare vendors. So that was pretty that was pretty interesting. This is this has been a um, another break. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan has been a longtime ally of Governor Kemp, but those relationships are starting to fray right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. it The, the, the issue of um, the issue that he mentioned budgetary issues, but that, that, that also raises a question of, of timing because the reality is um, uh, we're not going to get numbers that really kind of give us an indication of where the economy is going um and and ergo where revenue state revenue is going for another couple of months this this month there's going to be a report out next week on um, july uh, uh income and sales tax numbers but it's going to be artificially inflated quite a bit because uh, they changed the tax filing deadline from april 15th to july 15th so July numbers are going to look like, oh my gosh, you know, we're not just out of the recession, we're, we're, you know, we're having a boom time because, but it's going to, but it's artificial It's one month in one year. And so you're really going to, it's really going to be, you know, August and September uh, revenue numbers that show kind of the, the trend in the economy. Well, those numbers aren't going to be, I mean, two months from now, we're talking about like, you know, early October before they get numbers in for September. So are they going to have a session, you know, two weeks before the election? Or if if not, are they going to have a session? I mean, if, if it were, if budget was related, or are they going to have it, you know, after that, um, when the session is almost, you know, the regular session is almost upon us. So I, I don't, if they do anything on the budget, it would be that, I mean, if they were going to look at the budget, it would be that the federal government has uh, that Congress has approved some kind of state package, uh, state aid package, and then then it'll be the question would be if it's if it's budgetary, it might be we're going to like mitigate some of the cuts that we made this year. In other words, they'll be giving more money to the agencies because of this, you know, federal money coming in. And it won't be a it won't be a budget cuts. So again, that makes me think that takes us back to what you said the last. The last words in that in that uh, that message is there's something else. It's a uh, you know an ulterior something motive. You know, something else, yeah.
0: And remember, you know, the, the governor's been in a long time legal battle. Well, not long time, a, about a month long legal battle. A month, with, month with, long, with, yeah. With mayor, Bottoms. it seems like a long time with Mayor Bottoms over <laughs> um, mask mandates and other coronavirus restrictions. They're at the bargaining table. They're they're in court order mediation. They're they're. There's behind-the-scenes discussions, at least, about settling this out of court. But the very threat of of them taking some sort of action, and again, like as you mentioned, it's not going to be a, a full um, a full takeover of of the airport because that would require that's going to take years of litigation and and right. and, and all. Right. But um, even a scaled back effort to 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 give the state more oversight would be fiercely fought by city hall, which thinks it's doing a fine job as it is, and. Um, and something that might be more palatable for, for, for um, Republicans, especially in the state house, you know, in the state Senate, um, this has long been a popular idea, but in the state house, they've been a little more resistant. But if you tell if you tell, you know, Speaker Ralston that he might get and, and other top Republicans, they might get a spot at this uh, on, the, on this committee, then, you know, they might they might be more willing to do it.
2: Wow, but are they the, I guess the question is, again, is this going to be before the election or after the election? Because is, is, really, is it really an issue that you, so, so do you want to say, um, if we're having if we're, say, to say September, do you really want a month before an election or a month and a half before an election for, um, for the, the, the storyline to be, we're spending $40,000 a day, so representative fill in the blank from uh, Hey Hira, Comes up here and and spends you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of the state's money so that you can c- create a committee to govern the airport in Atlanta. I mean, is that? I mean, do you? I, I don't know that I don't know that how great the optics are on that to to be if that if that is if that is in fact what it is because the the again I know I I just don't see anyone suing over a a, a, a you know Scribner's error. In a bill that would grant tax relief to, to farmers. Now, the people who probably would be most nervous about a lawsuit would not be the farmers. It's the part about the rideshare, um, because as you as you remember, beginning of this, this session this year, um, they passed a sales tax on rideshare um, on anything that you kind of you buy through an app, and that included you know Uber, for instance. Um, that if, if, Uber, if Uber customers paid the sales tax in the state, uh, excuse me, in Atlanta, that would be like one of the highest taxes that Uber has to charge anywhere for taxes. So they desperately wanted this 50 cent ride share bill because it lowered the taxes on each, you know, lowered what you paid on, the, on your rides. Um, so they're, they may be more and more worried, but again, I, I just don't see anybody suing over a scrupulous error.
0: But, yeah. You know. and, the, and the weird thing about this whole thing is like, if, of course, this is smack in the middle of a pandemic. So lawmakers are infuriated. I mean, you know, we talked to a lot. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah that's, <laughs>
2: that's a whole lot. lot of, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, but they have to come back
0: appreciate. in the middle and sh- and wear masks and socially distance. And, and just like your theoretical lawmaker from Aira, you know, from the folks in South Georgia, they got to drop their businesses um, for five days and come up here at least at the minimum. Yep. And. As you also said, if it's before the 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 November election, that's five can't days they money. can't raise any cash, and, can't raise any money, yeah. take themselves off the campaign trail if they're if they're in a competitive race. So there's a lot of uh, angst and concern over and, this and special session. And mind
2: you, it, it wouldn't it may not be five days because I mean we're we if five days is a minimum to pass something. But but what it but if, what if it really is? They're they're going to argue about, um, you know, taking over the airport. Well that's not, that's not going to be five days. That, that, that's, you know, the, the Democrats are going to fight that. And, um, as, as we saw during the, um, during the, the, the restart of the 2020 session in June, everything has slowed down, particularly in the house where they were doing voice votes essentially. And they were going through a list of 180 legislators for every vote. Um, excuse me, 150. And, um, um, no, 180. I'm right. Um, and, and they were going through, a, they were going through the list like three or four times to make sure that everybody had a chance to vote. So a vote was, you know, 10 to 15 minutes on an amendment or, you know, pretty much on anything. So just it, things just aren't going to move fast and, and they're going to have to do the same, you know, they're going to have the same, uh, you know, s- separation of legislators and, you know, putting them in different rooms. Everything that happened in their June session, is going to happen, would happen in a special session because things aren't getting better on, you know, the coronavirus front.
0: Nope. And as you mentioned too, which is really interesting, the last time, well, it wasn't the last time we had a special session because we had a one-day special session that was supposed to just last an hour and it ended up lasting yeah. all day to, to declare a public yeah. health emergency. Right. But the last, um, you know, longer, um, more, um, I guess, um, a more traditional special session was in eighteen at the um <clears throat> called by governor then governor nathan deal and that one was also ostensibly and it was for for hurricane michael relief but um there was also some separate things they did uh they they accomplished there too in, in, involving some of uh, one of governor deal's long long uh sought, uh, uh, incentives for, for a major private Atlanta employer.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. He, he, he could not leave office with, <laughs> without, I mean, cause it was like what a month, month and a half, maybe before he left office, he could not leave office without making, you know, um, making sure that, uh, that, uh, Delta and, and other air carriers had the sales tax break, um, on jet fuel. And so, um, it, it the the most of the speeches during that session were about um the need to help uh hurricane victims um they'd have this i forgot how many you know billion if not more uh dollars i think it's three and a half billion four billion something like that of of um agriculture of of of, uh, pecan trees and you know, every, everything that's grown on there was essentially wiped out. And so it was this huge loss um, in that area. And so almost all the speeches were about that. But I do remember the, del- the, the, the fuel tax break um, uh, was sold uh, in a very unique way, I thought, it was sold by some uh, lawmakers as a tax cut for Georgians. The only people, of course, you know – as if the the airline industry was going to cut their fares because they were going to get a you know tax break on fuel, um, which of course didn't happen. Um, well, I don't but, know about you,
0: but I uh, buy jet fuel in bulk, so it was a tax break for me.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I've got a tank out back, so yeah, same, here, same here. Um, but yeah, it's so you know it. Governors and it it's, wouldn't be surprising if he if he put something on, but it's just, but again, this, you know, the difference was, although again, that, and that was a month and a half before a session. And I, I mean, I remember at the time um, writing that there were people that were like scratching their head. Why are we having a special session? I mean, that's, that's kind of why it became a special session as much about Delta as it did um, the hurricane, because, the, the you could have waited until January probably to do the the hurricane aid. Although I guess the argument would be, um, you know, the the, the people there needed you know some some insur- assurance that this was going to happen, and they needed it. They needed something to look forward to. You know, they needed, yeah, they needed to know what was going to happen. And and frankly, the state acted so much faster than the federal government for those people that you know a lot of the you know it was like well over a year before it seemed like that. That any money was flowing um, to, to help people. And the state, you know, kind of did react quickly. But that all that said, all that said, you could still do it in January. You still could have done it in January, but you did it, you had it, you wanted to do it before the end of the year because of that fuel tax break.
0: And and the one thing that that Kemp skeptics from both sides of, of the aisle point out is that in this legislation uh, that he's citing HP 105 for this special session. He actually signed it. It wasn't like he vetoed it and said, "You guys have to come back and and right. and pass this as soon as possible so we can get the relief." He actually signed it with concerns. Um, so so that that takes away a a sort of you know a, a pressure to to actually pass this, and then it takes away another sort of. Uh, argument that he could have made about why they should come back because I vetoed this bill because of legal problems. And now you've got, but I still want it as soon as possible. So now you've got to come back and sign it. Well, it's, it's already state law. He's just worried yeah. that, that yeah. it could be challenged.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean it was interesting. It also is interesting that the bill that, that the, the speaker and Lieutenant governor brought up because, um, that, you know, that they, that, that he did veto and that they wanted to go back on. Um, it's, it, that bill was kind of a classic bill that gets vetoed by the gov- by governors I mean and, and have been for have been for decades is the that that you know if you're a governor and rightly so if you're in that position you're reluctant to give up authority and you're you're reluctant to give up like agency authority to do things and so the idea that that you would have kind of legislative or separate oversight on contracts in the state is something that, you know, I don't think any governor would go like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, do that. It's just not, it's just not, you know, it's, there's, there's
0: a. Not something they instinctively want to support.
2: Yeah. They're always going to be a separation of powers issues. And and it seems like every year there's a bill like that, that the legislature says this is a great idea. And it may be a great idea what they're talking about, but um, it, it, it seems like almost every year there's a bill like that, where the governor just says, yeah, no, you know, this is, this is under my purview, not going to you know, give that up or I'm not going to you know, share it with you or whatever.
0: Well, we will soon see if uh, they indeed end up using the special session to try to override that veto, which they say they can do. Um, well, James, thank you so much for joining us and, and helping us walk through uh, all this confusing special session mess. Uh, and no please stay in touch. Please, please, please uh, for all the listeners, keep listening to James and following all his reports from ethics committees to budgets to everything else he's been covering. And now we're joined by Tia Mitchell, the AJC's Washington correspondent, who's actually down in Georgia the last couple of days. Uh, to, to catch up on George's political scene and, and, of course, to cover John Lewis's funeral. Tia, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me on again.
0: You had a, a huge week um, this past week as well, uh, highlighted by the interview with Joe Biden that you you and some of your colleagues did through the NABJ. Can you talk about how you prepared for that interview and also how you had to kind of be under a shroud of secrecy because I even 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 the I didn't know about it and even some AJC folks didn't know about it because you kept the secret so so well
1: yeah so you know we were under like strict strict you know directions to not talk about it to not say who the journalists were who had been chosen um just because we were worried that the 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 more it got out, the more pressure there would be on us. And 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 that actually proved to be somewhat true because um, the weekend we taped the interview on Tuesday, um, the 4th of August. And the weekend prior, I guess, you know, the producers went ahead and let Biden's team know who would be the journalist that would be interviewing him. And Biden's team immediately began reaching out to us individually you know trying to set up calls in advance to kind of get a feel of what we wanted to ask and that's not what we wanted to do you know we wanted him to completely not have an indication of of what we wanted to ask and, and to truly you know have to come up with his answers in real time and and of course we expected him to prep but we didn't want to divulge kind of where we were going with it. We wanted him to be prepared for anything. And so, um, yeah. And so we politely declined. And so the interview that you see online, it can be streamed, uh, the entire interview. He, he did not, um, know in advance the questions we would ask.
0: And so it was you and uh, three other reporters, right? Yes.
1: So, um, this year, NABJ, the National Association of Black Journalists, and the National Association of Hispanic Journalists have joint conventions every four years. And so this year was a joint convention year. Of course, it's gone virtual because of the pandemic, and and usually in presidential election years, the candidates are invited, and and we've even had sitting presidents before. Um, George W. Bush addressed the convention one year, for example, um, but in this particular case, we invited both. Vice President Biden and President Trump, Uh, President Trump's team ultimately did not agree to do the interview. So we just interviewed Vice President Biden and representing NABJ was me. I'm um, not only am a member of NABJ, but I'm chair of our political task force, which is focused on, you know, improving the pipeline of black political journalists And then there's Errol Barnett. He works for CBS News. And then representing um, NAHJ was Lulu Navarro, who works for NPR. If you listen to Weekend Edition, you're familiar with Lulu. And then Alfredo Corchado is a reporter for the Dallas Morning News who writes a lot about border issues and immigration. So the four of us um, met for, you know, several weeks and worked on our questions and collaborated. And, and then we sat down with the interview, which was like virtual.
0: And so talk talk about how you, uh, how you think he handled the questions and what do you think the highlights um, of the interviewer? Because it got, uh, got a lot of national press. Um, but what were, what were the standout moments to you?
1: Yeah. And so of course, you know, the, the, the world we live in, of course, what's getting the most press are the gaffes, And Vice President Biden had two pretty notable ones. And we'll talk about that. But before we do, I think that, you know, this interview was released right on the heels of an interview that President Trump did with Axios. And there's a big difference in that when you look even objectively at that Axios interview, the reporter was pushing back constantly on the substance of president trump's answers you know um pushing back on whether president trump was answering with facts and and evidence you know and so Pre- vice president biden his answers for the most part were pretty coherent seemed to be coming from a place of him truly being briefed on the issues and having thought about the issues and having you know a vision in place for how he would tackle things like the pandemic and immigration and healthcare reform. But where Vice President Biden ran into trouble is, as he answered some of the questions, we all know he has a reputation for being a little bit flippant, for kind of having, you know, remarks that can be insensitive or out of place. And so that happened twice in the interview. Um, The first point, inflection point was when, you know, of course, President Trump, one of his criticisms of President Biden is his age, he's 77. If he becomes president, he'll be the oldest sitting president. And so uh, President Trump has insinuated that Pre- Vice President Biden is just not, you know, mentally uh in a place where he can do the job and so we asked uh biden about that and if he had taken cognitive tests to make sure he was mentally fit and his answer was the substance of his answer was no i don't need tests to tell me i'm mentally fit because if you listen to me you can tell i know what i'm talking about uh but how he you know The flippant part of him asked the questioner, who was Errol, an African-American male, he said, do you do cocaine? Do you need a drug test? Are you a junkie? And so uh, his, his campaign, you know, in cleanup mode last night said, you know, he was trying to show how absurd he felt the question was. But in asking a black man, are you a junkie? Are you on drugs? The optics weren't great. And so um, that was one of the viral moments. And of course, you know, the Trump campaign jumped on it and said, that's proof that he's not respectful of black people. And then later in the interview, in a question about immigration, um, Lulu asked, you know, what is his thought about TPS, temporary protective status, where people, immigrants of certain nationalities are automatically like welcomed into the U.S.? just based on their nationality, whereas immigrants of other nations that might be nearby might have similar situations or not, and have to go through the process of seeking asylum, asylum and risk being deported. And again, President Biden, his answer, what he was trying to say was, even amongst the Latino community, there is not one set of thinking about immigration cubans might not think the same cubans in florida might not think the same as mexicans in in california or the argentinian community or the you know and so that's what he was trying to say but what he said was unlike the African-American community, the Latina community has a diversity in thought. And that came across as him saying, what do you mean? African? You think all African-Americans think the same? The black community is a monolith. And so again, last night in cleanup mode, um, he put out a, a kind of a Twitter thread where he apologized and said he was not trying to insinuate that there is not diversity in the African-American community. And that one to me was the biggest blunder because it was an unforced error. He didn't have to mention African-American community at all in answering this question about immigration. And, um, you know, he's got, you know, that that's what's really troubling Democrats. I have a good friend who's... um, pretty plugged in. And and he and I have been texting about the interview and he's been saying, you know, this is not what we need. If every time Joe Biden opens his mouth, he makes these unforced errors and then gets criticized from the Trump campaign. He's got to spend time in cleanup mode. What's going to happen when he's, you know, debating Trump for an hour? We can't do this for the next three months.
0: Yeah. And and, and as you mentioned, too, those gaffes sort of over, overshadowed the, the the policy, he didn't, he didn't necessarily make any groundbreaking news, but his policy arguments, which included um, talks about why he believes the country is ready to, to address systemic racism.
1: Right. I mean, he we asked him everything from right addressing systemic racism. We asked um, a foreign policy question. We asked about voting rights and access, you know, what he thinks states should be doing to ensure voting goes smoothly and people don't feel disenfranchised. You know, so the the interview was very wide ranging. And as you mentioned, he shared a lot of policy. He shared his vision. Again, everyone might not agree, but you can't say he doesn't have a vision, which is something that we know President Trump faces criticism for not really being able to lay out a coherent vision. Um, And so President Vice President Biden has a vision. Unfortunately, it often gets overshadowed by these gaffes. And that's partially, you know, that's the game of politics. That
0: is the game of politics. And you you can you can you can uh you can have a uh, you know, impressive rollout ready for some big policies uh, announcement you've got and you say one wrong thing that has nothing to do with it and that's all the focus will be on. Um, this is also a big um a big week for the Biden campaign here in Georgia. Um, Last week, uh, we reported that he finally hired campaign staff in in Georgia, and I say finally, because Democrats have been saying that the state is, is competitive for years now, and yet in 16, we saw Hillary Clinton not really hire any staff here in Georgia until the final months of the campaign, and in 20, we see the same thing. Biden hired five senior level staffers, um, but we're, we're only three three or four months, you know, less than less than 100 days out right now. Um, so it's late in the game to do this. And in addition, he started airing his first slate of TV ads in Georgia. He had a virtual fundraiser with Mayor Bottoms a few days ago where he said um, he wasn't exactly so optimistic about winning Georgia. He said it'd be a hell of a win, but that he thinks it's time the, sta- the state um, can be flipped. So there, this all coincides with him being more aggressive about about broadening his, his electoral strategy for November.
1: Yeah, and I think some of that was he wanted to make sure he spent his money wisely. Um, and recent fundraising reports show that he's largely caught up to President Trump, and that gives him a little bit more flexibility to staff up. In states that are not the priority list, you know, I know that we in Georgia were very excited about is Georgia a battleground state? Can Georgia possibly become part of that conversation of becoming purple or blue but the 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 truth is. There are other battleground states that are more lucrative. You know, you've got your Ohio's and your Pennsylvania's that um, have more bang for their buck electorally. And so um, I don't think it was necessary. I know that us in Georgia really want, you know, both both campaigns to be active here because that makes it more exciting for us. That puts us in the conversation. But I get why the Biden campaign was cautious about making sure it, it, it has the money to to do what it needs to do in those more lucrative battleground states, your Ohio's, before they go to Georgia. But now it looks like they feel like they can. They feel like they have the money. Again, Georgia, the polls are starting to show that that investment could pay off and um and so and so they're moving in. You've hit on exactly
0: the argument the Democratic Party is having right now, um, over, over the electoral strategy. Do you just go for, you know, the, uh, it, sort of the, the clean victory and try to flip those, those rust belt states that Trump won in 2016, but that Democrats, um, have a much better shot of winning in 2020? And that's Pennsylvania. That's Michigan. That's Wisconsin. Um, Ohio's there, but uh, Ohio's a little further, but still Ohio's in that conversation. Or do you go for a route? I mean, do you go for a complete wipeout and aim for Texas and aim for Arizona and aim for North Carolina and aim for Georgia, states that have been reliably red for a long time now? And, And I guess your home state of Florida is always in that conversation. It's such an expensive state to compete in, and it's always so close. So both candidates have to compete there. They have to advertise there. They have to you know, uh, travel there. And and Trump has visited there multiple times in the last few months. Um, But that state is such a hard state to compete in too. So that's sort of the debate Democrats are having now. And and with a $260 million ad buy, um, Biden's trying to do both. He's focusing on a lot, most of his attention on those, on those easier to flip battleground states that Democrats have done well in the past. But he's also advertising in Arizona, Texas, Georgia, Um, places that that are a little bit further out of reach for for Democrats, but, you know, in, in past elections, but might be might be winnable this year.
1: Right. And I think I mean, listen, everything, so many things are on the table because we are in such unprecedented times, not only because we've never seen a president like President Trump, but coupled with the pandemic and how just the process of elections and campaigning has changed. Um, And quite frankly, I also believe they have to go on TV in some of these states because he can't fly around the country as he would normally. You know, even though Georgia wasn't necessarily a battleground state, candidates made sure to visit Georgia. You can't, you know, run a national campaign and not stop in Atlanta, you know? And so, but Joe Biden is unlikely to to stop in Atlanta right now, you know? They're not traveling because of the pandemic. And so as a result, if you can't travel, how are people going to see you? Well, now you got to put some money into some ads.
0: Yep. And now you got to do virtual fundraisers with with Mayor Bottoms like he did a few days ago. And we should add too that President Trump is um, definitely competing in Georgia too. They're not taking the state for granted. They um, they have a massive grassroots ground team here in Georgia, a, a big ground game. They are not having any, the president is traveling and is making campaign stops and, and was here just a few weeks ago. Um, they The campaign has resumed door knocking. So they're knocking on doors, they're recruiting volunteers. And um, they also are launching ads here in Georgia. Their first ad was in June. It was a stunner to many people here in Georgia because um, to have a president, uh, a sitting Republican president have to air ads in a state like Georgia in June was seen as, a, as, as the ultimate sign that Georgia really is a battleground state. And just a few days ago announced um, a, a fleet of new TV ads that will run in four states that Trump carried in 16, Georgia, Arizona, Florida, and North Carolina. So, sunbelt slash southern states um, that, that the president um, should should see in his win column. And uh, Republican, sometimes, you know, pretty, pretty regularly sees in their win column, but now is uh, certainly up for grabs.
1: Right, and it's been interesting, you know, even though I live in the Washington area, I stream online my TV like so many of us and I've got my settings set up so that I watch TV the way people in Atlanta can watch TV. And it kind of keeps me, you know, connected somewhat to Georgia. And and the amount of Trump ads on certain networks is every commercial break, there was a Trump ad. And so he is spending heavily in, we know in Georgia, which is historically you would consider something that a republican president wouldn't have to worry too much about um, but again that shows us again what stacy abrams told us two years ago is true that democrats have been chipping away and they're within striking distance and the question is whether this is the year it happens for them um florida i've always you know i'm a i've worked in florida for nearly 20 years but Florida can can go blue. It's gone blue before it, you know, up until uh, six years ago, you had a Democratic senator, U.S. senator. You, of course, Obama carried Florida in 2008. So, um, you know, Florida has shown even more so than Georgia that it can be done, even though, you know, in the last cycle or so, the Republicans have appeared pretty dominant. But even, you know, in 2018, um, a Democrat won statewide in Florida. So, it, it, Florida is such a different state, as you said. It's it's very expensive to campaign there because there are so many media markets in so many cities. You know, unlike Georgia, that has a limited number of media markets and really only one the only one that's truly considered one of the top tier expensive media markets, which is Atlanta. So. It makes it much more difficult to campaign statewide in Florida, much more expensive. Uh, But you because Florida is one of the largest states, you can't skip it uh, and you can't risk losing those votes. If Donald Trump carries Florida again, that makes it much, you know, that much more difficult for Biden to win nationally. However, if Biden can carry Florida, then it would be very difficult. It's pretty much over, right? For for President Trump,
0: Florida's must win for Republicans, and in Georgia, if if Trump loses Georgia, it, his path to victory is so much more narrow in that too. Hey, Tia, one more thing before we go: conventions right around the corner. Uh, we were both planning to go to them. Um, now, of course, we're not because it looks like no one's going to them at all. Yeah, so it's gonna so be really amazing. bizarre. It's so
1: funny. Yeah, I'm so confused. It's so funny. Yesterday, the hotel that we have our reservations in Milwaukee called and was like, just FYI, you're booked during the convention. Not sure if you knew we'll be in the security perimeter. So I don't know if you want to change your dates. And I was like, no, I'm a journalist. I actually was planning on coming for the convention, but I don't know if I'll be canceling. And she was like, okay, well, just call me back when you know. But I I don't know. I, I feel like right now we're holding on to see if there's any Georgia ties to his vice president, which, you know, right now, neither Stacey Abrams, right, nor bottom seems to be c- kind of at the top of the list right now. But, you know, it seems like we'll be canceling our reservations in M- Milwaukee and Jacksonville.
0: Yep. I uh, And we'll be we'll be covering it and watching it from our our computers or our TV screens, just like the rest of the, uh, the nation. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tia, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening.
1: Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song.